My guest today, Kevin Doyle, plays Downton Abbey's second footman, Joseph Mosley. Uh, he has had a tumultuous time over the series. However, he seems to have found peace and potentially love. Uh, as the television series ended, now we're talking about Downton Abbey, the movie. And uh, welcome, first of all. Thank you. So yesterday, we hosted uh, together a, a, a Q&A and an introduction for the movie. Super fun, for one thing. Thank you for mm-hmm. doing it. Uh, but it was amazing to look out at the audience and see people wearing fascinators and top hats and and, yeah. and, and dressed for the occasion. And I, I just wonder what you think, looking out over that and seeing the level of fandom that was there, how excited people were to see you in person. Yes, it's a little surreal. <laughs> it, it's a particularly North American phenomena that getting dressed up to see the show. Right. Uh, we, we, I mean, that doesn't happen at home. Mm-hmm. And, and we only realized uh, that people had a tendency to do that <laughs> when we would come over, when we would come over here. And um, yeah, it, it, took, it, it took us back a bit. I, that's, I suppose that's when we began to realize that it wasn't a sort of a, a small, successful British you know, domestic mm-hmm. uh, show that, that that it had uh, a global reach. Well, it, it, it does. And it, I remember when people first started talking about this and I thought, well, is it upstairs, downstairs for a new generation? What exactly is this? Uh, and then I watched it and I became obsessed. And I was telling you about this. I became obsessed with Downton Abbey and for any number of reasons. But I want to talk to you a little bit about why you think this story of the Crawley family who live on this, if you haven't seen the show, who live on this incredible estate uh, that has been handed down from generation to generation, uh, they are the landowners who run the town, who keep this estate going. And then downstairs are the servants who look after them. And we get to see fairly even-handedly the uh, lives of both ends of this Mm -hmm. uh, story. And we also get to see the interaction between the servants and the family. But for me, it was never just about the opulence of the show, which absolutely exists. Yeah, Uh, because many other shows can sort of offer that. For me, it was a a throwback to another time, uh, to uh, a a time when people took responsibility for their actions. I think we're we're seeing, you know, uh, Lord Crawley, played by Hugh Bonneville in the show, if he makes a decision and it doesn't work out well for whoever, he takes responsibility. He steps up. He's never going to lose his job. He's always going to be the Lord of this manor, but Mm -hmm. for, for reasons that are both, I don't know, just inbred in him, Mm -hmm. uh, he's a responsible person. There's a pride of the work that the servants do. They take great pride in it. And I think that was part of it for me. It felt, I don't know. I don't even know exactly what the word is, but it felt as though uh, we were looking back at a kinder, gentler time, even though for a lot of people it wasn't. Mm -hmm. But I I, I liked the relationships on the show. Yeah, I mean, I think that's basically what it comes down to, the the relationships between people. And as you say, uh, it can be be said that the show looks back on that time Mm -hmm. through rose-tinted spectacles. Because certainly some people's existences within those households wouldn't have been as... Yeah, we're miserable. And, you know, perhaps the the people who run the show wouldn't have been as benign as uh, Lord Grantham. Um, 
But you're right, there is a responsibility that he feels, and that 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 and that's a sort of a subject which is often sort of talked about, that kind of sense of responsibility. Because they're not just there for themselves, they're there for and not just there for the servants, they're there for the district, they're there for the county. It's important. It's it's an important uh, source of employment, um, uh, and it's an important se- uh, source of revenue. So uh, th- th- you do get a sense, as you said, that it's a, it's a, it's passed down through the ages, and you get a sense in the movie that that responsibility is being passed over from Lord Grantham to his daughter Lady mm-hmm. Mary. So there's a kind of an ongoing thing, and that that's a sort of a, a topic which Julian has often explored, and and the the series explores, and it also explores the idea that in the 1920s, when the bulk of this is set, that things are changing. Your character, in particular, uh, is looking to not be a footman his entire life, to you know having a, a change in his station in life, and that before that era was probably unheard of. If you were a footman, you could come up and maybe be head footman or you could be, you know, you could raise in the ranks a little bit, but you were never going to be a teacher or a lawyer or a doctor. That's right. Yeah. I mean, he was clearly, and it's referenced uh, sort of midway through the the seasons, that he was clearly a a bright young fella. Mm -hmm. And uh, he could have, you know, had he been given the opportunity, he could have gone on to to, to do f- things with himself, but uh, due to circumstance and you know uh, financial mm-hmm. necessity, uh, he finds himself in service, as a lot of people did back then. You know, the, and it's kind of an indicator that what an extraordinary waste of talent must have occurred throughout that time. People who were clearly bright. Mm-hmm. But there was no path for them to go to onto further education or anything like that because of financial necessity, and I, I found that, so, that that was something that resonated. I, I, and Julian did a really brave thing. I don't know whether you remember, but at the end of season three, you know, Matthew uh, is killed, mm-hmm. and um, and so they were one of the most shocking moments in that. Show, I think. Yeah, 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 yeah. yeah. <laughs> you know, it <laughs> fell on Christmas Day at yeah. home. So that, that kind of is a, uh, uh, supports a lot of people's um, festive period. That's right. But, um, yeah, so the, 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 the course of the show took an unexpected mm-hmm. turn. Uh, and so whereas you could have foreseen a sort of a, a relatively calm domestic future for that family, suddenly it's, uh, it's turned upside down. Lady Mary is suddenly a widow. But, you know, speaking personally, um, I wasn't sure at the end of season three if I would have a job the following year because, you know, with, with Matthew, the character of Matthew gone, there's no reason for for, for, for Molesley to be around. And, and, and so, of course, that would have been the same for Molesley himself or the people right. who served that, that sort of that job. You know, if, you, if your master is no longer around, then you're out on the street. Yeah, it's because the social structure of it was such that you didn't just work in the house. You weren't just uh, doing general duties. You would work for one specific member of the house yeah, often. Exactly. You would dress them. You would make sure that they were completely attended to. And if they went somewhere, you traveled with them, likely. Yes. Uh, and if they died, well, then your job may die with them. Yeah, yeah. And they, they tried to find him a job, and there was no job to be had. And so he finds himself sort of semi-destitute for a short while. And, um, and then... Uh, uh, the house takes pity on him, 
Uh, but it, it kind of shows you that, you know, uh, well, like today, you're, you're two paychecks away from the street. Mm-hmm. I'm speaking with Kevin Doyle uh, from the Downton Abbey movie, plays Joseph Mosley, uh, the second footman turned teacher, turned in, in, in a fascinating character uh, to sort of essay and study. It is so detailed in its depiction of life. Uh, from that time. Tell me a little bit about the kind of research that must have happened. I know that there was uh, someone on set who was uh, a, a guidance counselor or, or a historical... Uh, uh, An extraordinary man yeah. called Alistair Bruce, who... I'm going to try and get this right. He's a, he's a herald mm. within the royal household. So whenever uh, the Queen attends the opening of Parliament, he's just off to the right-hand side in this extraordinary costume. Um, and so he attends her and he has this, he, and perhaps the name Bruce will resonate with some members of your audience because he can date his family back to Robert the Bruce. Wow. You know, one of those medieval yeah, yeah. kings of Scotland. Yeah. And so, uh, you know, that's the kind of lineage we're talking <laughs> about. And, uh, and so you can imagine the, the, the wealth of knowledge that he has. So, I mean, he, he knows the sort of the mundane everyday workings mm-hmm. of, of a household like that. But you can ask him almost anything about anything. And, uh, for instance, I was asking him, um, we, we got talking about the royal family one day during the filming of the show, the TV show, and I was saying, um, well, presumably when Prince Charles becomes king, he will become King Charles III. And he said, no, 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 not, not at all, not at all. You know, he, he could well uh, adopt another name. I said, well, well, why would he do that? He said, well, it's up to him. He can call himself whatever he wants to call himself. <laughs> oh, right, okay. Uh, so, I mean, so he, he has that, yeah. kind, he has that uh, encyclopedic knowledge. And so, and without him, uh, and he was there every day for us, w- without him, the, the show couldn't have been the same because I think part of the attraction of the show is that extraordinary detail. Mm-hmm. And you might not sort of n- notice it, but you would notice it if it wasn't there. Right. For instance, when we're, when we're uh, serving around the, the very extraordinary dining table that we have at, uh, at Downton Abbey, um, he, he would often tell us that uh, when, you, when you emerge upstairs uh, through the green baize door, you're putting on a performance. You're no longer you're no longer sort of servants from downstairs. You're you're representing the household, but also, and you're having to do that in an invisible way. And like in the very best restaurants that you go to, the service is invisible. And there's a reason for that. Um, you know, there, there's a reason why uh, there must always, when when you're you're serving food or or, or drink, there are there are uh, there's a gap of two guests between servants while they while they dip down. And it's, it, it's, and it's all to enable the sociability of the table, to allow the conversation to flow without right. being interrupted by somebody, would you like some more potatoes, Mark? Right. You know, that kind of thing. <laughs> <laughs> so it's, it's meant to be absolutely invisible. And there were days early on in my career upstairs when uh, I kept sort of crashing into the shot and, I, and Jim was sort of slapping his head in. Uh, Jim Carter, yeah. who plays Mr. Carter, was slapping his head in frustration because I was ruining the take. Because I was just sort of, I, I hadn't learnt how to sort of, that choreography. Right. Uh, 
It came eventually. Last night, we hosted a screening. There were hundreds of people there, uh, and there was a real excitement in that crowd to see this. And we didn't stay for the for the screening, uh, but you know on the way out, you had a lot of very satisfied customers. So that must make you feel good. After years, six years of, of shooting this, and I guess seven probably now with the film, uh, to live with it for that long and still have it be this popular must be gratifying. Oh, it's it's um, it's a once in a lifetime experience. To be yeah. honest with you, Richard, um, I'd, it, it's very p- peculiar because at home in Britain, um, actors don't tend to unless you're in a soap opera or something like that. You don't tend to sort of stay together for six years, right. unlike in the United States and here. You know, long running drama series don't really happen. They maybe last for three or four years, mm-hmm. and so that uh, experience, and when you marry that with the extraordinary success that the show had means that an extraordinary bond was created between that group of actors. And so had the movie not happened, we would have still remained lifelong friends, many mm-hmm. of us. And, but the movie happened, so it was... Uh, you were, uh, we were just talking about serving people at dinner as, as Mosley, the character. Uh, as a young actor, like so many other actors, did you ever wait on tables? Did you work in the service industry at all? No, I would have Never? been terrible. <laughs> I, was, oh, I was a boss boy at a, a Chicago pizza pie factory really? in London. But that was, a, but I, was you know, I just had to sort of wipe the tables. No, I would, I would be terrible. And, and there, there is a certain mindset to doing it. I think you have to be very organized. You have to be coordinated. It takes a lot. Yeah, 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 yeah. 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 No. Now, I've been told by people that have been on very successful television shows that while you're making them, it's almost like you're in a submarine. You don't really, because the shooting schedule is so intense and that kind of thing. When was it that you first realized that this show... Uh, was something special that that people were relating to it. I mean, you know, we talked a, a little bit about this last night, but the Rolling Stones used to stop rehearsals yeah. to go watch uh, down. I mean, Michelle Obama's a big fan. Yeah. I mean, it goes on and on. So, when did you first realize that that was all happening? Well, Jim Carter tells a really nice story. Um, he plays Mr. Carson. Uh, we knew it was going to be successful at home, and uh, we started the, to promote the second series. We came over to, to North America, and uh, we uh, were in um, in Washington, and uh, at the British Embassy, and you know many uh, American sort of dignitaries and congressmen were invited, and uh, and we imagined it would be sort of a very placid affair. But they were fighting one another <laughs> to get to, to us. And you kind of thought, oh, oh, this is unusual. Yeah. Uh, so, uh, and then, of course, as I said earlier, you, know, you, you, you see people turning up for Q&A panels dressed up as characters. And so you go, okay, right, okay. And uh, again, Jim Carter said he, he was on holiday in Cambodia uh, visiting the Angkor Wat temple. And... Uh, you know, thousands and thousands of miles away. Yeah. And uh, somebody came up to him and said, ah, Mr. Carson, Mr. Carson. That's amazing. It's amazing that this story, which you would think would be so singular and so kind of unique in in its, I mean, it's very specific in its, in its uh, setting and milieu and everything. But I do think that with all stories that are so specific, I mean, sports movies about baseball are never about the baseball. No. They're about the underdog spirit. They are about, you know, the, the never say die thing. Science fiction movies are rarely about the laser guns, yeah. you know? And I think <laughs> that Downton Abbey is, is a similar thing. It's a, it, it isn't simply a throwback to other times. It is in a lot of ways 
about decency. It's about uh, doing the right thing often. It's about finding your way in a world that's changing. And I think that that's a very potent message for people today because the world today seems to be spinning out of control and changing. We live in a different time. Yeah, Yeah, and and Downton Abbey, I think, is an example of uh, a – time and place where things were changing. There was a huge sea change about to come and and we see people's responses to it. Yeah, yeah. I mean, all the way through the show, Julian's explored those changes in society, especially after World War One, where, mm. you know, hundreds and hundreds of thousands of young men lost their lives and, uh, and those that survived came back to or came back wanting a different kind of society. They didn't want to just sort of go back and be servants again. And women didn't want to not be heard. Mm -hmm. They wanted the vote. And so um, and Julian has tried to explore all of that. Uh, but yeah, it's, uh, as it is now, it's an ever-changing world. And, uh, and sometimes Downton has to tr tr try and catch up with that. You know, sometimes it's felt lagging behind. I'm speaking with Kevin Doyle, one of the stars of Downton Abbey, the film that's playing in a theater near you right now. Uh, and it is true. It, it is one of the push and pulls of this show is that it, it's the idea that we are trying to uh, find our way through the characters in a new world and, and trying to catch up. And what part does tradition play in this? Do we just let it all go or how important is tradition? Uh, you live in, in Britain, which I think tends to be uh, a little more traditional in a lot of ways. They value the tradition a lot of uh, uh, differently, I think, than we do in North America. Um, what's your take on this? How important is uh, are the old traditions? It's a broad question, I know. It is. Um, I, I don't know the answer to that. I mean, I, I think at the moment when you look at what's going on in the Houses of Parliament at home mm -hmm. um, and you see some of the behavior that's going on there, uh, it... it Tradition can look um, as if it's kind of holding things back. Right. Um, but there are many aspects of it, I think, which are important. And it's why the, the royal family have been able to maintain their position, uh, because the, 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 they offer a steadiness in an ever-changing world. Um, and I, I think perhaps that's something that you can only begin to... Um, accept as, as one gets older and one, one experiences division within, yeah. within society and, uh, and, and change at an extraordinary pace, you, you kind of want to hold on to certain aspects which are timeless. And I often say that growing up in Canada, the only thing that has been a constant for me in my entire life mm. has been the queen. Mm. Pictures in the uh, classrooms, on the money, everything. And, and it, it, it is, for me, a tradition that I love. I love uh, the idea that here's a, a person that was given themselves to a life of service, a life of giving back. But more than that has been consistent. And that for me is very important. Um, I don't know what will happen and what my attitude will be should it ever become King Charles or whatever he chooses mm -hmm. to call himself. But uh, for now, the Queen, I'm all on board. Yes. I mean, but what is what is interesting about that family is that they are facing up to change. They are seeing um, 
the world changing, and so and they're having to adapt to it. And I think they've come to that realization fairly late. Yeah. But they are, they are. I mean, you know, w- w- with the death of Diana and the response to to all of that, you could see that it kind of shook them. And um, and w- with with um, fresh blood coming in, to use that phrase, uh, people like Kate Middleton mm-hmm. um, and people like Meghan Markle coming in, that can only be to their benefit, I would have thought, because they, they can bring in sort of a, a fresh impetus and offer a different perspective. And, that. and I th- so I think the young princes who will eventually take over are going to, well, they're going to live in a completely different world, but I, hopefully they will have adapted also. It feels like it. It feels like there's a way forward. Uh, the interactions with the press are yeah. different, even though I think that the press has been tough on Meghan Markle, particularly in England. Uh, but that's, you know, yeah. conversation for a different time, yeah. maybe. But well, well, I think it's quite quite a small uh, section of the press. I mean, I think I think she has a lot of support in, in, in general public. Right. In the general public, yeah, absolutely, yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. Uh, have you met any of these people it, 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 through Downton-related activities? We we met um, uh, the Duchess of Cambridge, uh, Kate Middleton. Uh, she was a big fan, uh, is a big fan, and uh, she was very heavily pregnant when she came along to the to, to the set uh, when we were shooting season five, I think. Um, and she was only meant to be there for an hour, and she made her security very worried, because, <laughs> very anxious, because uh, she stayed for three. So she just l- loved watching the f- filming scenes and yeah. just sort of touring, touring the sets. Uh, she, yeah, she had a great time. Well, you shot at a place called Highclere Castle. And it's been made famous by the television show that, you know, those beautiful shots of the estate and the building. Uh, I always assumed, though, that you shot all the outside scenes there. Maybe some of the, as they walk in, inevitably the camera would follow through and there'd be a hallway. And then it would cut to a a set somewhere in London that was decorated. And that's not the case. Do you actually shot there? The ground floor uh, was all available to us. So the dining room, when you go into the hall, the main hall, if you turn right, you get into the dining room. If you turn left, you go into the library. If you, if you carry on straight ahead, you get into the, uh, the drawing room. So all of those were made available to us. I mean, it's difficult to replicate because they're such grand. They thought about replicating the, uh, the dining room at one point because there is... There are some really valuable artifacts in there. There's a, there's a 17 million pound Van Dyke on the wall. And so um, so when you're moving cameras in and out of there, big lighting setups, right. you, you, you need to be very careful. And so they thought about replicating that elsewhere, but it was just going to be too expensive. But all of the downstairs stuff and all of the bedrooms uh, are filmed uh, in studio. And those, the dining room scenes were your least favorite to shoot, yes. I'm told, because they just took forever. They took forever, and certainly for the servants, yeah. um, you, you were standing all the time. It's okay if you're if you're if you're <laughs> if an you aristocrat, you can sit all day. Uh, their, their only complaint was that they had to keep eating the same mouthful of food over and over. Oh well, it's a tough on you. You know, we've got to. You know, even when even when the cameras stopped rolling, there wasn't a seat for us. We had to keep standing. So people like Jim and Michael and myself, you know. So where's the seats? Uh, no, there's no room. Sorry. Well, and I suppose they also would have been a nightmare for continuity. If yeah. you have to reshoot, the food would have to look the same on the oh, plate yes. and just everything. Yes. So those dinner scenes, which were always a, a highlight because there was always something. There was always a big reveal or something that would happen during these dinner scenes uh, could sometimes take two or three days to shoot. Yeah. I think, I think actors became, the, the more we did those shots, 
those scenes, they became a bit wilier. Mm-hmm. So you, nobody ate, even <laughs> though it was a dining room scene. You very rarely saw anybody eating because they knew they were going to, you know, at n- nine o'clock in the morning, you know, a bit of mushroom stroganoff was yeah. probably quite attractive. Yeah. By three in the afternoon, after you've had sort of 30 or 40 mouthfuls. Yeah, not so of, much. Yeah, yeah. So you, they would often find very clever ways of sort of just having put the fork down, things like that. So, um, yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> I'm speaking with Kevin Doyle, one of the stars of the Downton Abbey film, which is in theaters right now. He plays Joseph Mosley, the second footman. Uh, what's your favorite line of dialogue in the film? Uh, mine, I think, is Lady Mary. Well, this isn't from the, it's from the television show. From the television show, Lady Mary describing Lady Edith as being as interesting as a bucket, which I just, <laughs> for some reason, made me, it made me laugh then, makes me laugh now. Uh, in the film, I think it's uh, Maggie Smith, the Countess yes. Dowager, who says, I don't argue, I educate. I explain. I explain, yeah, I explain. that's right. Yeah, yeah, it's a beautiful line. There's another one of her lines, but it's so... It's, it's very tempting to yeah. say it, but I don't want to spoil it for right. the audience who haven't seen it. But there's a corker of a line towards yeah. the end, uh, which has the... you know. And one of the great things about seeing, experiencing the movie as opposed to the TV show is that you're seeing it and you're surrounded by hundreds of other people. Mm-hmm. And that's, of course, that's different to the TV show because, yeah. you know, you'd be with your friends and family and that would be all lovely and quite intimate. But seeing it on the big screen and reacting to those beautiful one-liners that Maggie has and other other occasions throughout the film. Having it be a larger shared experience is really quite something. And I hadn't appreciated it until I saw it myself at one of the premieres. Well, I think in all cases, seeing something in a movie theater is always the preferable way to go. The television show is one thing. You're going to watch that at home. But movies... Uh, need to be seen in a movie theater. You want to hear people laughing or crying, sitting with strangers in the dark. It creates empathy for the characters that you're watching. Uh, You you get a sense, a broader sense of what people are thinking. I I love going to the theater to see things. That's why I was excited last night to see everyone uh, so excited to be there, the anticipation of it. It must be, I, I mean, I suppose if you're doing theater, you must feel that every day. You know, you, you can hear the murmuring yes. of the audience as they're sitting and getting ready to, to you know, to, to take the boards. But in a movie situation... Always a terrifying experience, though. Is it? Waiting in the wings. Yeah. Hearing the audience. Do you still get nervous? I get. I think the older I get, the more terrified I get because and, I realize the potential for disaster. <laughs> <laughs> That's right. When you're young and reckless. Oh, yeah. Not a care in the world. <laughs> and go to the pub afterwards yeah, and, yeah, and yeah. sort of, you know, shake it off. Yeah. That's funny. Uh, when the movie was off, we just have a minute left here. When the movie was off, uh, offered uh, up, uh, I mean, I guess there was no hesitation. You would have said Absolutely. Yes, because, because I think at the end of the show, the TV show, I think we felt that after six years, we 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 told the stories that mm-hmm. needed to be told. And so it felt like the right time to end. And then there was, although we knew that there was a potential for a movie, it was going to be sometime in the distance. Right. And as it turns out, it was three years. And that felt like a sufficient for sufficiently long gap right. for us to sort of feel enthusiastic about going back and doing it all. So it was very easy to go back to. When you have lived with a character for this long and it has become this much of a sensation, 
the you've had two kind of endings with this one three yes. years or so ago, and then one with the 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 wrap on the film. What's it like to shoot that last scene? Oh gosh, I shall never forget the uh, the, the the last scene we shot on the on, on the TV show because uh, it was really emotional. Um, in fact, the, that day, the, the several of the downstairs characters were, were saying goodbye. Mm-hmm. Um, and uh, we we all attended the, the the shooting of their scenes, and uh, unfortunately, my last scene was shared uh, with a lot of other downstairs staff, and so um, uh, yeah, it's 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 a lot of tears were shared, yeah, uh, unexpected as well. I think it caught us all by surprise. I I think w- w- some very kind words were said at the end by the producers and the directors about us all, and. Uh, and 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 the crew as well. You have to remember, all the crew had stayed with us for six years, and so it was. Uh, and we didn't know for certain whether the movie was going to happen. Yeah. So, it was. It was. Uh, I remember Jim sort of started. He made a speech uh, to sort of thank everybody and to thank the crew and the producers. And uh, he started to well up himself. And uh, it's that's quite a rare occurrence. Yeah, I'm sure. <laughs> I'm sure it is. And you have in this film. Uh, one of the great moments, and I don't want to give anything away, but Mosley, who would, during the course of the television show, sometimes say the wrong thing or or allow his emotions to get the best of him uh, in a situation that maybe wasn't completely appropriate for his job and that sort of thing, that kind of happens here in the movie. Without giving anything away, though, your reaction was based on something that you saw in the news. It was based on Theresa May, was it not? Yes, our yes. former prime minister. Yes. yes. And and so she had a gaffe on television. It wasn't so much a gaffe. It was just the way, I think she was, uh, it was just, it was all sort of, uh, it, it was circumstance really. She she had, she had to sort of beha- uh, behave. <laughs> it's difficult to sort of describe it without giving it yeah. away. But uh, there was a sort of a rather famous awkward photograph of her. Um, so in in relation to members of the royal family, mm-hmm. and uh, and and when I came to shoot that scene, uh, it suddenly popped that photograph suddenly popped into my head, and I thought, ah, oh, I'm going to use that. So I guess every everything can uh, lead to can feed a performance. Oh, Anything yes. and everything. A- yeah. Actors are magpies. Yeah. They sort of they will take things from all kinds of places. So earlier on television today, someone asked you. If you could meet anyone, who would it be? And I'm told that, yeah, I didn't see it, but I was told that you unequivocally said, well, Bruce Springsteen. Yes. Okay. First of all, why Bruce Springsteen? I mean, I think we all know, but why? Why? Um, oh, goodness me. He's one of those artists who, uh, and I, I rarely use that word, but I think mm-hmm. he is an artist, um, who, who, who seemed to sort of get better as the years go on, he sort of refines his craft, and I think his his songs become they have the ability to sort of be epic and intimate at the mm-hmm. same time, and I I just think that's an extraordinary gift. He says of himself that he's not a particularly great singer, he's not a particularly great uh, guitarist, and so he had to make the best of what he had, right. and um, like all of us, you know. You make the best of what you've got, and he's just been able to hone that uh, that craft of his. And and I bought his new album just 
several days ago. Western stars. Yeah, just and um, I just keep. Li- I've got it on a loop at the moment. Um, I just keep listening to it because you, you've. It, it gets the more you listen to it, the the more profound the songs become. Well, I met him last week. I met him on Thursday, and <laughs> this is why. How did you cope? Well, you know, I, I, I interview famous people for a living. It's what I do. Okay. And and so I don't normally get starstruck. It has happened. I think Anthony Hopkins gave me a flutter or two, you know, <laughs> meeting him and, and that sort of thing. But, but it, it, it doesn't happen that often. And I didn't think it would happen with Bruce Springsteen, even though I'm a huge fan. I yeah. thought, well, I'm used to this. this. is a world that I that I inhabit yeah. a little bit. I'm, I'm around these people. Uh, uh, and then when he walked into the room, oh. you know, all of a sudden you're looking at Bruce Springsteen. And and I will tell you, I had a drink with him. He looks you in the eye when he talks to you. Yeah. When he tells you a story, he holds on to your arm. It's yeah. very kind of real, authentic, everything that you want him to be. None of that surprises He is. Me. Yeah. 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 I, I, I had uh, George Clooney came in, uh, uh, who I'm a big fan of, uh, came in and helped us with a charity thing on Downton. And I just kind of, I found myself, um, I'm an enormous fan of his. I think his work is just mm-hmm. wonderful. But when he came into the room, I found myself sort of backing off. It's not shyness necessarily. It's just sort of, um, I just don't want to right. get in his way or spoil anything. I just want us to observe him. And uh, and I, I think I'd probably be the same with Bruce. Yeah. I think I'd just sort of slowly back off. And... It's, 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 it was a, it was a funny situation because you, when you meet your heroes occasionally, it can go horribly wrong. And, uh, I happen to be a big fan of Iggy pop. I love Iggy pop and, and uh, I hosted an event with him a little while ago and I had to, I was asked to do it. My initial reaction was absolutely, of course. And then I thought about it. I thought, I don't know if I want to do this because what if he's awful? <laughs> you know, what if he's just terrible? And, right. and I've listened, I've spent tens of thousands of hours with those records. Yeah. And, and, uh, you know, his, it, it has taken up a, an incredible amount of my headspace. And I was like, I, if he's terrible, this will be a blow to me. Yeah. Uh, and as it turns out, he's lovely. Yeah. But my, my fear isn't what if they're horrible? It's what if I come up with some garbage? <laughs> right. You say the just, worst possible yeah, thing. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I met Paul McCartney once and I blew it. I knew all day right. I was going to meet him. And I had clever things to say. I grew up in a town called Liverpool, Nova Scotia. I thought, well, that's our connection right there. <laughs> you know, uh, the Mersey River goes down the middle of both uh, his Liverpool and my Liverpool. This is going to be fantastic. And then you meet him and you shake his hand. And as I was shaking his hand, his life flashed before my eyes. Right. And all you could think of were those album covers yeah. and playing on the yeah. on Savile Row on the roof of the Apple building. And I managed to mumble something like, I've always been a big Beatles fan. Yeah. yeah. You know? I, I met Elton John once when oh. I was when I was quite quite young. And I went backstage and I got his all he, I got him to autograph my Goodbye Elliot Road album. Um and uh, I, 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 yeah, I, I came up with some inane. Yeah. I, I think I said something like, "My mum's a big fan." Yeah. <laughs> and he goes, "The worst possible thing to say to a rock star." My mum's a big fan, and uh, to this day, I kind of regret. If I ever bumped into him again, I would be the first thing I'd have to say. I do apologise for that. It must have made you. Feel <laughs> <laughs> Did you know? Uh, you know, speaking, Maggie Smith is. Uh, an icon, a legend. Did you know her before this or had you worked with her before? Oh, I certainly knew yeah. her work, but I, I hadn't met her before. But you, yeah. And so what, were there any nerves there? And if so, do they go away after a little while? 
it depends who you speak to in the cast. Um, because I had a certain amount of dealing with her, yeah. uh, uh, she sort of warmed to me a little bit, and, and some of the nerves went. But there were a couple of occasions, well, there was one occasion, as we, we've referred to in the uh, um Previously, about there's a moment in the in the film, yep. and she's in attendance when I make this extraordinary faux pas. And um, at the end of the, when we finished filming it, uh, she came up to me and and said something. I won't repeat what she said, uh, but she she said something to me, and I will remember it for the rest of my life. Oh wow! It's kind of one of those things where one of your heroes says something nice to you, and. Uh, yeah, it just sort of meant so much to me. Uh, it, it, yeah, yeah. Oh, that's amazing. I love, and and this would have been near the end of filming probably, yeah. so it's just a nice little yeah. cherry on the yeah. top of uh, of the of the cake. Uh, last night at the Q&A, you got the biggest laugh and people were tweeting about this afterwards. <laughs> I asked you uh, if you had taken any mementos from the set and you said, well, I took Maggie Smith home. <laughs> <laughs> And, uh, it, and it got a lot of traction on Twitter. I will oh, tell you that. Yes, I will. I, I can tell you that. Uh, Kevin, what a treat to speak with you. Thank Likewise. you very much for coming in. Uh, the film is Downton Abbey. Uh, it is in theaters all across the world right now. That must kind of blow your mind. Someone in Australia is watching you right now. I know. It's I know. it's that, that is kind of remarkable, isn't it? I don't think about it. <laughs> uh, the film is in theaters right now. It's been my pleasure to speak with Kevin Doyle, who plays Downton Abbey's second footman, Joseph Mosley, in the television series and on the big screen. Uh, go see the movie. It's really wonderful. And if you're a fan of the show, it provides everything that you could hope for. And if you're not a fan of the show, you'll become one after <laughs> seeing the movie. Thanks very much for listening. My thanks to Andre and the board. And we'll talk to you again next week.